All right, Romans chapter 11, and Acts 15, and Acts 19, and Acts 28. You ready? Okay. Can you tell me what we've been looking at in chapters 9 through 11? What question is Paul answering? What about Israel, right? Romans 9, 10, 11, it all answers the question, what about Israel? The question is, look, there, there's Gentiles flooding into heaven and... The Jews, that is God's chosen people, are seemingly on the outside looking in, right? We finished Romans chapter 10 on Sunday with these words. You can follow along. Verse 19, Paul says, But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. No offense, Christian, Gentile, but that's us. Right? We are the foolish nation that God is provoking Israel with. Right? There's a, a whole foolish nation that is streaming into heaven because of Jesus. And God is waiting for Israel to become jealous. Look at verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel he says, and this is how the chapter ends, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So chapter 10 closes with a picture of God with his arms wide open, desiring reconciliation with his chosen nation, but being rejected. All of this leads to the question that Paul states for us in verse 1 of chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? That is the title of the message, which is, Is God Done with Israel? Have, have God and his chosen people come to a place of irreconcilable differences? Is God completely done with Israel? Verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? And he immediately gives us the answer, certainly not. Paul spends now chapter 11 elaborating on that. He says, look, there... I, I'm telling you now, God is not done with Israel. I have an outline for you tonight. Verses 1 through 6, we're going to see that the remnant of Israel is reserved by grace. And um, in verses 7 through 9, we're going to see that the rest of Israel is still rejecting grace. In verses 10 through 12, we will see that the return of Israel will come in richness of grace. Okay? And you'll see these as we go. First up, verses 1 through 6, Paul says, Look, the remnant of Israel is reserved by grace. Verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, you want to know if God is done with Israel? Uh, hello. Exhibit A, Paul says, me. He says, uh, you might want to remember, I'm Jewish. And God saved me. Matter of fact, Paul would say, you could kind of consider me an uber Jew. An especially good Jew or especially over the top Jew, right? You can find places where Paul would say, look, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, right? I was the, the cream of the crop. I was the hardest worker I knew. I was a persecutor of the church. Paul says, you can't get any more Jewish than I was, than Saul of Tarsus. You can't get any more Jewish than me, and yet God showed mercy on me, and he saved me. Paul's point, apparently God is still in the business of saving Jewish folks. 
Now, quick application before we go any further here. Did you notice that when Paul shares the gospel, that is, the the good news about God's forgiveness and mercy and patience and long-suffering, the fact that God doesn't desire to cast away, he noticed that Exhibit A was Paul. He considered himself Exhibit A, and we should do that too. The people around you, some of them, wonder in their heads, would God really save? Could God really choose a sinner like me? Your answer is, hello, exhibit A. Now, some of you could be tonight immediately go to this place. Yeah, but I'm, I'm such a bad witness. Nobody's going to look at me and say, I want to be like that. If, if that's where you go, you need to confess and complete, uh, receive his complete forgiveness. Because David, remember, and Paul referred to David many times in this book of Romans. David was one who said, happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Again, we come back to this mission statement that we've seen a bit. You need to first know Jesus, and that means know his forgiveness live in it, experience it, abide in it, and then make Jesus known. Because Paul's point would be the same as yours. God is still in the business of forgiving sinners. See, Paul's point here is, no, God is not done with Israel because there's, well, me. But then he says, oh yeah, and there's, well, I can, sh- I can show you in another way. There's Elijah and his 7,000 Reserved folks. Look at verse 2. He said, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, At this present time, there is a, notice this word, remnant, according to the election of grace. Paul says, okay, is God done with Israel? Well, let me give you another example. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah, get this, was actually praying against his own Jewish nation. Right? In that chapter, if the camera were to zoom down and see Elijah, you'd be surprised He's praying against his own country. Times were bleak in First Kings 19. The king, remember, was Ahab. The queen was Jezebel. Not exactly the David kind of ruler. Think about it. Very few people name their sons today Ahab. You don't very often hear, Hey, I want you to meet my daughter, Jezebel. Nope. Bleak times. These were the the, the rulers. These were the, the, the people in charge, right? And Elijah is actually praying against his own nation. And um, he says in, he says in verse three, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. He's saying, Look, God, the, the whole nation has rejected you except for me, and I am next on their hit list. Don't you think of, I, would, I know Jer, uh, Elijah would, would tell you this, if there was ever a good time for, for God to be against Israel and to be done with them, he says, now would be a good time. 
Verse 4, but what does the divine response say to him? That is, what was God's answer to Elijah's prayer against Israel? Did God say, yeah, you're right, Elijah, let's torture him. I am so done with Israel. I have so had it. No, apparently that was not God's response. He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul says, is, is God done with Israel? Look, he says, there's always been, there always will be a remnant of Israel reserved by grace. Now, Elijah didn't even know about them. But apparently there were 7,000 men that God had preserved, he had reserved, he had elected, he had handpicked. And Paul says, look, the same is true today. Think about that, 7,000 Jews. Now, compared to this room, that sounds like a lot. But compared to the whole nation, that is just a tiny little bit. Right? There are some Jews, not a ton, a remnant who were saved according, uh, Paul says, according to the election of grace, the free gift of Jesus, the same way that you and I get into heaven. Now, y'all, this to me is... One reason among many uh, to evangelize. Because what this says to me is that though the gospel will be rejected, there will always be a remnant. Right? We talked about it last time. When you share the gospel, people are going to, many of them are going to just say, nope, not interested. Or worse. But if you are faithful when he tells you to, to open your mouth, if you're opening your Bible and then he tells you to open your mouth and you do it, there will be a remnant and it might be a small percentage according to what you might uh, hope for. But I, all I know is that this to me guarantees that there are some that, that will respond. Okay, um, before we move on though, I've got another application for you. I wonder if in this room tonight, maybe there are some who suffer from Elijah syndrome. Here's what I mean. Lord, I'm alone here. Nobody else cares or works like me or signs up for this or that or offers to help. Elijah, you could say, probably had his own little pity party. Pity party of one. Notice God's answers. You are not alone. He says... Look, I have folks you don't even know of. And I think there's a, a gentle rebuke of Elijah's uh, pride here. Because don't you kind of get the, the sense when Elijah makes this statement, he's praying against his own nation. And again, I, I, don't, I don't think he's alone. I bet you everybody in this room has felt this in, in one regard or another uh, in different areas. But you ever tempted to feel this way? Lord, if only everyone were as helpful as me. Or as diligent as me, or selfless as me, wouldn't the world be a great place? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of his attitude, right? Well, here's another thing I want you to notice. 7,000 men is not very much at all compared to a whole nation, but what does God say? Um, I can do the job with many or few. God can deliver. We just sang that song. God can deliver. He is mighty to save with many or few. Maybe you're here tonight and again, you're tempted to be discouraged. Remember, Jesus turned the world upside down with more or less 11 guys. 
So rather than feel sorry for yourself, maybe to some tonight God is saying, trust me, I have enough personnel and resources to accomplish my plan. Now you can join me or not. Back to our context though, Paul says, look, God has always loved Israel and there's always been a remnant. Verse 5, he says, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And interesting, it's like, to me, it's like Paul says that word grace and he can't just say the word grace without doing a little sermon again, a little mini sermon on grace. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, It's unmerited favor. It's just because God is gracious, because he's loving. There there is nothing about grace that you can deserve. And that's what Paul says here. Look, it's free. It's undeserved. It's only because the giver, not because the recipient, but only because the giver is good. Look at this little mini sermon, verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Clear? (laughs) It was as confusing the first time you said it a few chapters back. But when you sort it out, what he's saying is, look, grace and works, they don't mix. So often we fall into the trap. uh, Lord, thank you for saving me. Okay, now I got it from here. Or, well... I'm going to work really hard and I know that God will just fill in the cracks for me when when my grace uh, doesn't cut it. He says, look, they are mutually exclusive, these, these concepts, grace and works. You can't, for instance, as the Mormons believe, you can't have a salvation of works and grace. Any Mormon who calls himself a Mormon who... Uh, believes traditionally in the the Mormon way, says, yes, my salvation depends upon my works and God's grace. It's wrong. Their their idea is, and and it's not just Mormons, but I'll work real hard to please God and then God will fill in the gaps with Jesus. I'll provide 85% of my own salvation and God will kick in enough to get me over the top. Paul says, look, it's It's all or nothing. Paul has said it repeatedly. Actually, Romans 3.28 says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Romans 4.4 Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. We've seen it over and over again. Paul says, look, it can't be works and grace. It has to be either grace alone or works alone. Galatians 2.21 I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. And listen to this one. Galatians 5.4 When Paul is writing to the Galatians who have been starting to think like okay well God showed his grace but now it's up to me. Listen to Galatians 5.4 You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You can't, you can't, it can't be a mixed bag. It couldn't be any more clear or more thorough. When you go through the the New Testament, 
It's either by faith in Jesus' righteousness or faith in our own righteousness that you stand before God and there's no mixing of it. Um, you guys remember, I, I shared it with you, I don't know if it was this Sunday or, or recently, Remember to think of, of God's righteousness of the law as this, this glass that needs to be filled? Right? It's 10 million light years tall. Okay? Jesus says, I did not come to take away the glass. I came to fulfill the glass on your behalf to complete fullness uh, to, to the brim. And it's goofy, but this helps me think of it. What Paul is saying here, the, the two don't mix. There is no such thing as a works slash faith smoothie. Right? It's not a mix. You can't mix them. It's either God. It's either God's righteousness through Jesus on your account in the glass, or it's your righteousness, which is a thimble, a thimble filled. Okay. So he says, look, the remnant of Israel is reserved, and he says it's reserved by grace. Now the next point, look, the rest of Israel, that is all of them except for the remnant so far, is still in the process of rejecting grace. Verse seven. What then? Israel, that is, as a whole, as a rule, has not obtained what it seeks. We found out last time what Israel is seeking, the righteousness of God. Remember? Israel, they're, they're, what they're trying to do as a general rule, as a whole, Israel is seeking after really hard, trying to please God, trying to seek after the righteousness of God. They've not obtained what it seeks, but the elect... Paul says, the remnant, uh, me and others like me, have obtained it. They have obtained this thing that the, the Jews were seeking, the righteousness of God. And the rest, it says, were blinded. Let's again see if you were paying, been paying attention. The righteousness of God is not a condition you can achieve. Yeah, I gave, I gave you less than I did before. See, I'm trying to lead you along. The righteousness of God is not a condition you can achieve. It's a commodity you must receive. Right? You cannot achieve the righteousness of God, the perfect righteousness that's required to get into heaven. It's a commodity that you must receive that Jesus has to give you. Okay? We, we saw it at the end of chapter 9. The Jews were seeking for it, but the Gentiles just stumbled on it. Look what I found. The righteousness of God. Well, Paul says, look, I'm a Jew, and look what I found. Paul says, I'm a Jew, but I found it too. I was going and trying to persecute and trying to show God how, how much he should be pleased with me. And I stumbled upon the true righteousness of God that's only found in Jesus. Right? Paul says, look, me and the remnant, those uh, who are, are part of Israel but are the remnant, we've received his commodity of righteousness. But the rest of Israel, he says, verse 7, is currently blinded. The word actually um, in the Greek could be translated either blinded or hardened. Um, literally, it's the word calloused. To cover with a thick skin, to harden uh, by covering with a callous. So it means metaphorically to make the heart dull or to grow hard, to become dull, to lose the power of really getting it, of understanding. Okay, Verse 8, just as it is written, and here he quotes this, just this first verse, uh, first letter, or first sentence, excuse me. He says, just as it is written, Isaiah 29.10 is where he's quoting from. God has given them a spirit of stupor. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 29.4 and says, Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. He says, look, they're calloused. They're, their eyes 
are darkened. See, and this is a principle we've seen many times before. If you don't respond to the light that God gives, your spiritual eyes become calloused. Your spiritual heart becomes calloused. And it's harder and harder to receive. And that means if you came in tonight and you're, uh, you're hearing something and the Lord is speaking to you and you're like, eh, maybe next time I'll get more serious about that or this or that. It's not going to be easier next time. It's going to be harder. And let me say a word to any unbeliever that might be here tonight. The same goes for you. It will never be any easier for you to respond to the gospel than tonight. If you hear his call and you reject it, your callous gets a little thicker, a little uh, stronger, a little harder to get through. Until you could come to the point where God is shouting, but you can't hear. He could be really obvious, but you can't see. That's why, again, the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But the question is, is God done with Israel? Paul says, look, no way. The the remnant of Israel is reserved by his grace and the rest of Israel is still rejecting his grace. He says, verse 9, and David says, Psalm 69, 22 and 23, that's where he's quoting from, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back Always, excuse me, I think I, I, I skipped over. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Interesting, if you remember back in chapter 9, remember all the list of, of the blessings that Israel experienced? If you look at the beginning of chapter 9, you'll see it. Paul says, look, I really want my, my brethren to come to know Jesus, but... They are a blessed people. And he goes through this list of great things that Israel uh, has experienced. That Where it says their table, that was actually a symbol of blessing. If you have a table to sit at and food on your table, that's blessing, right? Amen. And what he's saying is, um, he's saying, look, when, when the eyes become darkened, he's, he's saying, this is, uh, God told us about this in the Old Testament uh, many years ago. He says, look, all of those blessings can become a snare, a trap. Because what you, you do is, look, I'm, I'm part of God's chosen people. And he's done all of these things for Israel. And so I'm good. I'm good with God, right? So that, that the blessing becomes a snare and a trap. Okay? Then he says, verse 10, Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and bow down their back always. Interesting, to bow down the back was a metaphor that they would use to be a slave. It means to be under a heavy burden. Now, this is where for me it really gets interesting. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Paul is saying, look, the the Jews, there's a remnant that get it, that are finding salvation just like the Gentiles in Jesus. He says, but there are others who are not getting it. Turn to Acts 15. Do you guys remember, uh, for some of you, it was many, uh, quite a while back, when we went through the book of Acts, and we had one title that I was particularly proud of, of a, of a message, Circumschism. <laughs> Get it? Because Acts 15 was all about when the church was almost going to have this huge split because do we make the Gentiles get circumcised or do we not? Right? It was a huge thing, and they actually had uh, this council come together. Circumschism. Get it? Okay. Um, look at Acts 15. Because what we're going to do here is look and see what Peter said when he stood up and uh, made made his case. Acts 15.10. 
Peter says, now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? What did we just learn about this? He says, let bow down their back always. He's talking about a burden. Okay. so Peter says, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers, that is our Jewish fathers, nor we, we've never been able to keep the law either. Verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, that is Gentiles. Do you get it? Paul says the same thing that that Peter says here. Um, You know what? I used to think that it really was important for the Gentiles to become like me to get saved. But now I realize, no, it's really important that I become like them, which is to stumble upon Jesus and say, I will take you up on that free offer. You see how how much that, that would have sounded so weird coming out of Peter's mouth. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. It spins everything on its head. But in that, in that, one, that one section of, of the scriptures in Acts 15, Peter is saying, look, we try. We've all tried. Our grandparents have tried. Our great-great-grandparents, nobody has kept the law. And so Paul in Romans here says, look, their blessing is fooling them into thinking that they're, they're right with God and they're trying real hard, but they're going to continue to be, uh, have their back always bow, bowed down because of, uh, because of this burden. Matthew 23, uh, you don't have to turn there, but let me read to you. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. See, no doubt then the, the heavy burden, the bowing down their back always that Paul is talking about here is self-righteousness. That is keeping the law to try to please God. So Paul has quoted three different places here in this section. He says, look, it should be no surprise that though there's a remnant of Israel that responds to grace, that is reserved by grace, that the rest of Israel rejects God's grace in favor of their own hard work. Well, that begs the question that we come to finally in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? What he means is permanently. Have they stumbled that in a way that's uh, beyond help? I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall permanently? Then he says, (laughs) two words that we've become very familiar with, certainly not, no way. So the third point here is that Paul predicts the return of Israel in the richness of grace. And we're just going to barely touch on this um, so that we have something to, to talk about on Sunday. But look at verse 12, because he says, Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness and Paul's going to spend again the, the chapter, the rest of the chapter speaking of the return of Israel. He's going to say, look, it is a done deal. It's already prophesied. It's going to happen. But in the meantime, Paul says, here is what God is up to. Verse 11. Let's go back. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. 
that's you and me again, that foolish nation that God is using to make the, uh, the older kid jealous. We saw it last time. You can look there at Romans 10, 19. God had spoken these words. I will provoke you. I think it's from Deuteronomy 32. I will provoke you to jealousy. God speaking to, to Israel back in the Old Testament. I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. We saw it on Sunday. Again, you give a, a, a kid a toy and they're not interested, right? But then you say, oh, here, Johnny, why don't you play with the toy instead? All of a sudden, the one that you gave the toy to is like, wait, no, that's mine. That is the best toy in the world. Well, Paul says that's exactly what's really happening with the Gentiles. Um, pastor Chuck Smith, uh, the found, founding pastor of Calvary Chapels, tells of a certain granddaughter that he has uh, that, who claims him as, as, her, as her own, right? Like very special relationship between the two of them. And apparently she has him wrapped around his finger and all that. Well, one day uh, she was upset with him for some reason. And so she's given him the silent treatment. Occasionally fam- females will do that. Or so I hear. Um, <laughs> so he's getting the silent treatment from this uh, very special granddaughter. Apparently what he did was he quickly gathered up all of the other grandkids. And he just loved on them and complimented them and all these. And... Uh, it wasn't long before this little girl was climbing back up on his lap. It's amazing how we can reject something that is precious, but when we see someone else enjoying it, suddenly we're provoked to jealousy. And that's what Paul says, look, the Gentiles, that should be you and me. I, I hope you are a believer here. We are enjoying the Jewish Messiah. And God is provoking his own people to jealousy. Think about this. The whole reason, and if you go through the book of Acts, you'll see it. The whole reason that the door was open to Gentiles was because the Jews first rejected it. You go and you, you follow Paul's MO. Every town that he went to, he would first go to the synagogue. And he would spend as much time as he could there until somebody ran him out on a rail. <laughs> Right? Because, oh, you're talking about Jesus too much. And so he's like, okay, well, apparently you guys are done. You've heard enough. So guess where I'm going? To the Gentiles. Turn to Acts chapter 19. I want to show you this. Paul totally worked this, this, this jealousy thing. It's awesome. Acts 19, he's in Ephesus. Look at uh, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some of them were hardened, that is, calloused, and did not believe, some of the Jews would not believe, but they spoke evil of the way. That was another uh, early name for Christianity. They spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, Tyrannus you might notice, is a decidedly un-Jewish name. Uh, Most people think it was a Greek Gentile philosopher. It's kind of like, I can see Paul as he's walking out the door, right? They're like, you you won't speak that name anymore in our presence. I can see Paul walking out the door going, okay, well, if you need me, I'm going to be hanging out with the Gentiles, telling them about your Messiah. Take care. (laughs) And look what happened, verse 10. 
And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Look at verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from, the bo- from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Seems to me that God is pouring out his riches on Gentiles to make Jews jealous. Paul says, look, here's my MO. Everywhere I go, I first go to the synagogue. They get first dibs. When they reject, then I go to the Gentiles and God pours out blessing in hopes to provoke the Jews, God's special people, to jealousy. Now, in case you think I just picked one, you know, I got lucky and found one example. Turn to Acts chapter 28, the very last chapter of the book of Acts. You'll see, and here Paul is in Rome. He's writing this letter to Rome and... uh, this is later on, and you can see that he's still very consistent with his, uh, with his strategy. Acts 28, verse 23, Paul is in jail, um, the, in, in house arrest, I believe, and the, uh, the Jews have come to, uh, to see him and ask him a bunch of questions about his theology, that kind of thing. Verse 23, so when they had appointed him a day, uh, many Jews, that is, came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers, saying, notice how familiar this sounds, go to this people. The Jews and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Verse 28. Here goes Paul. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. You get it? It's the same strategy. Paul says, uh, so you rejected it. All right. Well, guess what? Salvation is going to the Gentiles. Just saying. <laughs> it's, I'm provoking you to jealousy. Now, here's the, what's the application for us? This is going to sound weird, but we mentioned it on Sunday too. Make someone jealous. As Christians, if you understand what I mean, That's our job, to make someone jealous by enjoying our Savior, by abiding in Him. We forget, but we need to remember, if you're a Christian, your sins are forgiven. David says, happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Our job is to enjoy this forgiveness, to abide in Him, to keep short accounts so that we are really, really enjoying, we are in the lap of of the Savior, if you will, so that everybody that sees us is going, "What's, what's going on with you? Because, yeah, I lost my job, but you lost your job too. Yeah, my kids are disobedient, but your kids are disobedient too. Um, I've got this problem and you have this problem. But I'm miserable and you're joyful. What is the deal? 
Your, your application is to make someone jealous with joy. And think about this. Paul was constantly making people jealous, and he was in jail. How in the world does that happen? Um, well, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I had an idea that I want to share with you, and, and uh, it'll be fun because uh, we threw it at, the, at our kids at the last minute, the children's ministry. But um, there's a song that the newsboys do that I just can't get out of my head that has to do with this, this idea. And here's the chorus. Shine, make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. Shine, let it shine before all men. Let them see good works and then let them glorify the Lord. That's an application. To shine, to enjoy your Savior, to abide in Him. Let's go back to Romans chapter 11 and and we'll close here with this last uh, verse. Verse 12. Now if their fall, that is if Israel's fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, and they are basically, all of our blessings have come because the Jews first rejected Jesus. Right? If their fall is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, Paul says how much more their fullness... And he's just now beginning to launch into, look, God is not done with Israel. Think about it. He says, look, if God can work, think, think about this. If God can work the rejection of his son by his chosen people into great riches, what in the world does that say about the future when God opens his people's eyes to the truth? If their fall is riches and their failure is riches, how much more their fullness? And that's where Paul is going from here. So to make a really long story short, is God done with Israel? Not a chance. 